Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text a Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Well, guys, big question yesterday. I think I think maybe the biggest question. Uh, I'm joined by Jordan Coughlin, um, huge, huge Washington Nats fan. I hope that doesn't make you uh, hate him. Uh, we live there. We're allowed to like the Nationals. And then Blake Rogers, huge, huge, huge Atlanta Braves fan. Um, right, right down the road from Truist Park. <laughs> man, I saw the new sign the other day. Yeah. It's, what did you think? I mean, they haven't had, they haven't put like the real new sign up yet, have they? They have. Oh, at, I, at, at the uh, entrance of the stadium. Okay, I saw like the one from the highway, and I, it just seemed like a temporary sign to uh, me. Yeah, no, if, on, on the entrance from Spring Road, there's there's the new Truist Park. I was I don't think, know. there's something that I, that I was beholden to in the SunTrust Park branding. I don't yeah, know. I, I'm well, I, I'm I'm trying to give Truist a chance. I. Uh, I, for, I, I, first of all, when I first heard, I didn't really like the name. I mean, I think SunTrust is a good name. I think BB and T is a good name. Mm-hmm. Truist just kind of feels, mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah. a little millennial, or I don't know, maybe even like Gen Z. Yeah, I look maybe that's what they're going for. I look forward to visiting Truist Park and young Bengals for oh, yeah. the world champion. Washington you know what I Nationals. hope? I hope that you can get there this year. That's my hope. I don't know that it'll happen, I agree. but I hope that you can get there this year. I do too. I hope for that too. I do too. Yeah, we should. Wait, we would already be in baseball season right now. Mm-hmm. How crazy is Major. that? Um, but guys, we're not here to talk about baseball. Uh, we're here to talk about the Word of the God, and I'm excited about this. We asked the question: Can you trust the Scripture? I think this is such an important question. I think that people land on one of two sides of this, right? Um, and obviously, there's a spectrum on either side, but. Um, on one side, there's this kind of, you know, you shouldn't even be asking, can you trust uh, the Bible? I mean, I think actually I like put on my Instagram this quote and somebody like wrote a comment underneath of it. I, you know, I just mm-hmm. put, took a picture of the little YouTube thing just to tell the people mm-hmm. about it. And somebody wrote underneath it as a comment. Why would you even ask that question? All right. So there's I think that represents one side of, right. you know, mm-hmm. why would you even question the Bible? And then on the other side, obviously, I think there's the side of like, you can't trust the Bible. Why would you, why would you think that it is the word of God? Or why would you think that it is so trustworthy? Um, so <laughs> for those reasons, I think it's actually a really good question to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we talked about in the sermon, it, it's kind of amazing what you find when you ask the question. Um, if you're coming at it from, and Blake, you made a really good point. I want to let you speak to this. If you're coming at it from a perspective of that, like the Bible dropped from the sky someday and it, it was, you know, God just gave us the Bible, then studying the history of this can be, I think at first, a, a little unnerving because there, there was a process and there, mm-hmm. there was a lot of things that happened. But then I think as you continue, can you continue to push through that, um, and really think about it historically, it's amazing 
what we have and how it happened. Yeah. So I, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So like, I think the best way to think about it is like the difference between how the Quran was developed and then how the Bible was developed. You know, the Quran are, you know, it purportedly is the exact revelation of Allah through the hand of Muhammad. It was Allah dictating exactly what his will was, exactly who he was to one man yeah. in human history. And, and supposedly none of Muhammad's you know, he was just his prophet. He was just his messenger. Right. None of yep. his personality or whatever is. No, that's right. Yeah. This is exactly the revelation dictated to Muhammad that Allah wanted. Now, there's a lot of trust that you have to put in one man whenever you believe that, right? So there's the dictation theory. But it's um, similar to the Book of Mormon, right? Where Joseph mm -hmm. Smith Joe had Smith. the rocks, right. uh, the stones, and he had the special glasses mm -hmm. that only he could see. Right. So the same kind of thing. You have to like really trust that. Joseph Smith really had special glasses. Right. It's very hard to get a whole council of people, a whole, you know, church history that kind of surrounds itself around affirming a certain group of books. So anyways, you've got dictation theory, which, you know, if you're a cult leader, that'd probably be the route you would go, right? You just say, hey, I've got new revelation. This is what God has told me. Here's what it is. Well, the Bible comes to us, and, and this is how God chose to reveal himself to us, through verbal plenary inspiration, what do you which, mean by that? Which means that God used real human beings in time and space with their personalities, with their struggles, physically, um, emotionally even. You see like the Psalms and like this, the, the whole book of the Psalms is like David's reflection Ugh. emotionally on who God is and how he applied the truth of who God is to life. Yeah. So you, so God uses these people in time and space to it, to give us exactly the revelation that we need to know him as God. And it's unbelievable. Hmm. And that's just, there's so many genres in it. I mean, you read through Psalms and, I, you know, I always used to say, you know, I, I loved breaking up when I was in my dating days. I, I love a good breakup because I love mm -hmm. the music. Yeah. You know, I love listening to a breakup song, especially with like a, a raw hurt mm -hmm. heart, you yeah. know? Right. And I would say like the worst thing about breaking up with, or the worst thing about getting married is that you're, you know, I'm very happy in my marriage. I can't listen to breakup music anymore. And so, right. um, so anyway, yeah, stay away from that. But the Psalms, man, yeah. you get this like pain, you get anger, mm -hmm. it, it, but then you have a book like Genesis and you right. have a book like numbers and you have this law and then, and then mm -hmm. let's go to the new Testament. Romans. Like, you yeah, know, this, just, this epistle that's just so orderly and thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And then you have, you know, like the gospels again, that are just giving an account and, and all the gospels are kind of different. Like John, very different than like mm -hmm. Mark. Right. Um, it's just fascinating. It's very fascinating. It's you know, it's it's only it's almost as if God had to orchestrate well, this whole thing. So, yeah. Know, okay. Right. So to yeah. me, that's the question. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think the question is, um, can we trust that this is divinely inspired? It's like, how could you have this if it wasn't divinely inspired? Right. To me, that seems to be more mm -hmm. of the pressing question. Well, Explain to me the Bible without divine authorship right well yeah. and the fact that this has been debate like if there were going to be holes poked into this book written over you know thousands of years tons of different authors tons of different genres like people have been trying to poke holes in it for 1800 mm -hmm. years sure yeah right mm -hmm. yeah and, and one of the things that gets people in trouble i think is they they try to apply like the logic and rationale of dictation theory to a verbal plenary given book. And um, that you, you just approach those two things different. And I think it's just amazing that God chose to reveal himself in this way. He's creative. 
He's sovereign. And these are some of the core truths that we believe about God, that he, that he is a sovereign God, that he has communicated um, in a way that is mind-boggling. Well, and, so and Jason, some, would, you, would you say that it's important and potentially necessary for a Christian to really authentically, honestly ask this question? Oh, I think a hundred, I mean, yes, I, I think for two reasons. Number one is I don't think it's like intellectually honest to not ask it. I think you should say, okay, like if, look, if I'm going to hang everything in my life on this thing, I should understand it a little bit. But then number two, I think, as I said, like at first you kind of get into this, if you have the template that Blake was kind of looking at and you realize, okay, there were some disagreements here and there, and there was some of this, this, it, it can at first seem a little unnerving, but then if you realize like how all this thing did come, how this thing did come together um, and what it is and how consistent it is and everything mm-hmm. else, then it actually, I think, is even more affirming to your faith. Mm-hmm. You can kind of get past that moment. To your point, Blake, I mean, you said something I think really good. How hard is it to get one person at one place and one time to agree on something? It's not that hard no. because there's only one mm-hmm. mind at play. There's only one person. How hard is it to get over 40 different people and a lot of followers over 1500 years in three mm-hmm. different languages to all agree on something. Very difficult. I yeah, would even yeah. say like that's impossible yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. And so the fact that you have that mm-hmm. happening to me, I think is actually, like I said, I think it's one of the greatest miracles mm-hmm. of Christianity. I mean, I think I would almost rank the miracles of Christianity like incarnation number one, resurrection number two, Bible number three. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's it's just up there in this, this amazing mm-hmm. thing that's happened mm-hmm. um, that actually gives me a lot of faith that God is actually interacting yeah. with the world. And I would even go like before incarnation, like there's probably just like God's self-revelation, like which yeah. the incarnation is that, right? Right. right. It's, it's God revealing himself in the fullness of uh, who he is through the, through the personal work of Christ. It's also interesting to me that like in the, process of developing the 66 book canon of the bible um god did allow that to play play out throughout history he used people uh in their personalities to give us this book i I think what god is telling us is that he is intricately involved in the details of human history too yes and still is today and still is today whereas like the Quran, the development of the Quran through dictation would be more of a deistic understanding of who God is. Somebody, a God who is separated from creation, he kind of created the world and let it spin on its axis. And what will be is, you know, showed and, up and for shalom, a little while you know? and said yeah. a bunch of stuff, but and then shalom. got back yeah. out. Yeah. And, but, um, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is different than that. He, he is intricately involved in um, human history to actively be working to reveal himself, which the current outworking of that is the proclamation of God's word in churches and on the mission field. Today. What is what is uh, the word canon mean? I love this word canon. I name my son canon after Canon Rogers, a That's Peter awesome. Gentry um, lecture. It, it was confirmed to me. I'd always kind of liked the name canon. But then I was sitting in an Old Testament class at Southern Seminary with Peter Gentry, and he go, he went on to explain how the term canon is a fourth century word that came from this like Hebrew Greek word for measuring rod. 
And so, or, or read. So it was like, it became like this measuring rod of truth. That's mm. what it came to, to be known as. And so that's the 66 books of the canon of scripture is like, this is the rule of truth, the rule of faith. Mm. So I named my son that. That's really that's good. good. That's really good too. When you're thinking about it, obviously like the, the word of God is the measuring rule for all truth, but it's also the measuring rule for like written truth. And I think that's kind of a good segue into the next thing because there, there have been some debates as to what gets included in the measuring rod and what doesn't get included mm-hmm. in the measuring rod. And I think this even kind of speaks to this current, even like current moment. How do you know if like, for example, like God is speaking to you or, or, or this is something that the Lord leads you to do. You need a canon. You mm-hmm. need a measuring rod mm-hmm. of truth. Mm-hmm. And so there were some other books that were very meaningful to people mm-hmm that actually have some really, really good spiritual insight into the heart of God that were left out of mm-hmm. that measuring stick, that yeah. measuring rod of truth. Um, just to kind of give you a quick little history, I mean, obviously we believe that the Old Testament wor- books were being developed um, through time from, you know, the late or the, I guess, the early 1400s B.C., when Moses begins putting together what we know as Torah, um, all the way up until the end of the Minor Prophets, which you know we believe the last uh, Minor Prophets, Malachi, around 400 BC. So there's a mm-hmm. thousand year period or whatever of the development of the Old Testament that was those books were all being written, and then and it's interesting too. Most people believe, most scholars believe. Now, now we know for certain by AD 90, this would be like the latest date the Council of Jamnia, that we have the 39 Old Testament books. But the Old Testament books, really with the exception of Esther, mm-hmm. Esther was kind of the squirrely one, mm-hmm. um, was settled in the Hasmonean period. And it probably was settled before that, but we just we know that the Hasmoneans had this canon, mm-hmm. this measuring stick of Old Testament books. And that would have been known as the Scriptures. This is interesting. that in all Throughout the, the New Testament, um, you know, I, I know that... You know, this is kind of being tossed around. People are saying, like, well, don't refer to it as the scripture. Don't say the Bible says, say that this writer says. Well, that's just not the rule that the early church used. And it's not, and we know it's not the rule that the early church used because it's not the rule that the Bible, the Bible used. used yeah. The mm-hmm. New Testament authors always said, as the scriptures say, as the scriptures say. And, and what they're saying there is, as the Bible says, as the, the word of God says. Anyway, though, so that. That would have been referred to as the scriptures into this time of the early church. The church obviously loved the Old Testament, taught the Old Testament, preached the Old Testament. In the second century, there was a church leader that, after a lot of these New Testament books were being written, tried to get rid of that Old Testament part, and the church said no. The church said, that's heretical. We we need this. But as these New Testament works were being uh, written, developed, used, they were included in the canon they were included in the measuring rod mm-hmm. um and so that's another thing that i addressed yesterday you know people will say well, we didn't really have the bible until the fourth century which is very misleading different churches had the bible which included the old testament canon and then these new testament canon um all from the first century second century third century that was just not universally agreed upon until the fourth century. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 thing that happened in the fourth century was there was a universal agreement. The, the thing, and this probably is not a great analogy, but what if we just said, you know, what if we all had a church council meeting 
of all churches, all Christians, and we said, look, we, we, you know, Presbyterians say that baptism is paedo-baptist, baptism says that it's credo-baptist, uh, Church of Christ says that it's baptismal regeneration. You know, we all are baptizing. We're trying to honor what the scriptures say about this. Let's have a council where we figure out, like, finally, universally across the board, what baptism is. So we would never say that the church doesn't have baptism now. There's just some disagreement exactly on what it is. And obviously, the New Testament canon is much closer than where we are currently on baptism. So that, that analogy falls mm-hmm. apart a little bit. But but about 20 to 22 of those books, in and throughout the first three centuries, four centuries of Christian history, uh, were, were never questioned, right? Mm-hmm. The Gospels, they were yep. always in. Mm-hmm. Acts, always yeah. in. All the letters of Paul, always in. First and second John, always in. Um, you know, books like Hebrews, James, Revelation, Jude even, mm-hmm. always in. Um, and so some of these books were on lists where the people said, you know, maybe in, maybe not in. And, and for really great reason. Right. Like, there, you know, whether it was the author was unknown and does that... Hebrews, we still don't know. Yeah. us from adding this to the canon? Or James, okay, like, these people were really working through the theology within that book, you know. And we still, like, work through the theology of that book because it, said, it has a it lot of that. Right, because right. it's you still, know? you know, it it's... It's, you know, beautiful to put together with what Paul says, but there are tensions that exist between what Paul says and what James says. Um, doesn't make them not true, doesn't make them not hold together, but there is tension there. And so for good reason, people were very thoughtful, prayerful, intentional about adding these books, which gives me great a great deal of security. I, right. Yeah. I'm yeah. the same way. Yeah. It actually this whole kind of conversation, it actually I think gives us a really good framework to understand um, where we kind of currently are and how we should judge things now and how we should kind of look at things now that are helpful, but they're not our measuring stick. And, you know, people accept things that they don't fully understand all the time, like gravity, right? I I know that gravity exists. I know that some scientists throughout history have have sought to define exactly how this happens. Um, But it's kind of mind-boggling to me, but but I trust in it. I don't understand it fully. Um, but we, but we all do that, right? Yeah. We, we all believe in certain things, though we don't fully understand how they come to be. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. One of the questions we got yesterday was just about Athanasius's letter. I, me- I mentioned Athanasius's letter in 367. So just to kind of give you a little bit of history, Athanasius kind of first published this Easter letter where we have the defined 27 books of the New Testament. The full 66-book canon wasn't fully and finally agreed upon universally until the Council of Carthage in 397. But again, again, I just want to be very clear here. This isn't that they didn't have the Bible until 397. It's that there was some disagreements about a few, a few, and we're talking about five books here, really, a few of the books that belonged in and out. Well, maybe five or then six with Esther. Esther was, again, kind of spurious mm-hmm. at this time. And Esther's a, kind of a weird book, um, if you think about it. People like it. It's about a woman. She was beautiful. She saved Israel. But it doesn't mention God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of strange things that happens there. So, again, I think, you know, I understand why there was some question yeah. debate there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, well, I, you had a question, I just find it. Yeah. Well, I just find it fascinating um 
the the you you see the brilliance of God, right? Because even in the establishment of this measuring rod of the canon, um, the, there is a reality that they tried to create strict criteria for what is it, what is in the canon, and ultimately, it mostly worked. But yeah. then you had but then you had books like Hebrews and. But it just points back to there is a sovereign God who is using man and his fallibility and his trying to figure things out and trying to, you know, place confidence in their ability to work things out. God is sovereignly orchestrating all of this to give us what we need. Mm -hmm. And, And I just that that's where. I'm comforted by that, you yeah. know, if, cause if I can acknowledge that there's a God who can use, uh, <laughs> all of this to communicate exactly what he wants to, um, that that's a God I can trust in just like similar to the cross, right? The cross is foolishness to man, but it is the wisdom mm-hmm. of God. God is the one who can somehow orchestrate that the worst day in history becomes the yeah, best, the greatest thing ever. Picture yeah. of redemption. That's right. And in the cross, like in verbal plenary inspiration, like you've got again real people and real human history, God is using to reveal Himself. And then you have like God actually stepping into human history. It's like God. Th- this is a part of who God is. Yeah. He is a God of the heavens and the earth, but He's also the God of the world, who steps into the world to to reveal Himself in the most clear and full way possible not just through the words of man but in the person of his son Mm -hmm. and it's just like this whole like this is a part of who god is this is how he's chosen to reveal himself jason go ahead i have a question how how would you um advocate people giving doing due justice to the the humanity of scriptures you know the the beautiful a humanness of Paul asking for books and asking for a cloak and, you know, people named specifically in scripture. And cause I, I think that's a part of our narrative now is it's not dictation, right? It's, it's not a science textbook. Uh, these are letters. These are poems. These are historical, you know, eyewitness accounts. So there is a humanness to it. Yeah, I love it. I, I think it gets back to what Blake was saying earlier, which I think is like one of the key points in this, is it just shows that God is, we're not deists, right? We God is involved. And 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 when is God gonna show up? You know, I, I don't I don't envision Paul. Well, I mean, we know like Paul's not like out in the wilderness somewhere meeting with God alone. He's actually like in a jail cell with other prisoners around in this like incredibly real life situation. And that is when the sovereign God of the universe is inspiring him to write God's very word to us. Mm -hmm. Now amongst that, well, I would say not amongst that included in that, are these like very personal things, which I actually think are instructive, right? I mean, it, it, it's showing kind of the setting. It's showing how God does interact with us. It's showing, I mean, even like some of those things, there's there's a certain dependence and love that can be kind of instructive for us. Like I love another one that I like is in John. It's after Judas kind of chides uh, Mary Magdalene for, uh, uh, you know, using the expense, 
bits of perfume on the feet of mm-hmm. Jesus, and he says that money should be given to the poor. Remember this scene? Mm-hmm. And I love John. It's like this offhanded comment. Here's John, 60 years later, writing this down, and he says, Judas didn't care about the poor. He right. he mm-hmm. carried the money back, and he would often help himself to it. Like, it doesn't help in the story, really, but it kind of shows, like, Judas you know, there's still like some pain there from Judas's betrayal of Jesus that John is like, you're still feeling through John 60 years later. And to me, that's like incredibly helpful. It's incredibly, it's interesting. It, it makes it come alive. It, it makes it feel real. Right. Um, you know, we even talk about like, we want, you know, wanting to be authentic. The Bible is so authentic. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's those little things actually that make it, um, it, it's less contrived. It's it's not myth. I mean, I yeah. talked about it yesterday, I mean, in the sermon, like, this isn't myth. This isn't something that, this isn't like a production. Uh, this isn't a Cecil B. DeMille mm-hmm. uh, epic production of something. It's it's God interacting in like these real ways with, with real humans. And that's true in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, you know, even like in the Psalms, as you mentioned, I mean, these are these are just real expressions of, human mm-hmm. reality that give us truth yeah that give us truth yeah amen um well, really good stuff guys uh, i uh, uh yeah one other thing just kind of related um i love this quote this is from john calvin he says we know what is in the scriptures because the scripture is self-authenticating the certainty it observes with us is seen effective by the holy spirit we affirm with utter certainty that the scripture has come to us by the hand of men through the mouth of God. And so I gave the points yesterday. I think the Bible, we can look at it biblically. What does it say about itself? And I think that's very important. We can look at it historically. There's all these reasons historically to believe there's something going on here that's amazing. But I do think that the personal testimony of the word of God is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may not be like the best apologetic, but the fact that people are really affected by this and I am one of them in this way that really no other book has the power to do um, is evidence, I think, to give it a second look. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that, that that gets back to what I was saying before. There, there, For hundreds of years, people have been trying to poke holes in this idea that Scripture is God's Word. The argument against that is not just that this is a textbook for us or this you know, it is a historical document that tells us the history of Christianity. It's it's that, you know, this is the inspired word of God for us mm-hmm. to digest, to read, to be impacted by, to be changed by. And and that I agree with you. Like that's my own personal experience. Right. I come to scripture and arguments about scripture and its authority and sufficiency are helpful for me to give me confidence to to what? To read it. Mm-hmm. And to be changed by it, and and that is that is my experience. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned the um, I've mentioned the David Brooks book, The Second Mountain, mm-hmm. and uh, did you read that? It's good. I, I'm like almost almost done with it. Have you gotten to like the conversion part yet? No. Uh-uh. Oh well, then you're like the best part's coming up. But anyway, that was what was so helpful. I think in that book is he was exploring Christianity, and he said people just started giving him you know, they would give him all these apologetic books or whatever. Like, that's what you do with an unbeliever. And again, I think the apologetics are important. I mean, that's this whole series has kind of been apologetics. Mm-hmm. But he said, but the best counselors would just tell me to read the story. Mm-hmm. 
just just yeah. read the book and 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 when he did it affirmed it i mean god started speaking to him yeah and he became a believer. So it's I, I think I'm just agreeing with what you're saying. That was a really great read with a super secular, um, you know, Jewish born New York secular New York Times author guy comes to know the Lord how by just spending time with his word. Mm-hmm. Blake, how did you so you mentioned yesterday how you had kind of a crisis of yep. faith related to the sufficiency of God's word? How did that play itself out? So you're you're a self-professed Christian. You're in mm-hmm. seminary. Um, you're questioning you know you're having questions and doubts about scripture um was reading helpful was it challenging how did you how did you work through that i think the you know before i address that i guess like how i came to that you know i was taking travis kern's problem of evil class and he uh made us read all these books it was like 14 different books in a semester and uh from a lot of different worldviews and you know what one of you know uh one of the compelling authors that we had to read was Greg Boyd okay and um he's a great author he's a he's a, a extremely I don't recommend him gifted but, writer right, right? Yeah, yeah yeah um but like if you're going to read him really deal with it you know and and I was seeking to do that and so I found myself in this moment where I was like what okay, did you read, like God at war or something or yeah it, well Satan and the problem of evil okay. which is uh, his his massive work on that that problem so um so basically, you know, I found myself in this moment where I knew I ought not to agree with this guy, but he was arguing from Scripture. And I was like, okay, well, if I ought not to agree with him because I'm arguing from Scripture on this side and he's arguing from Scripture on that side, what is truth, right? Is there truth out there? Are we, you know, how do we find it? And so I just found myself in this moment of like, this is the postmodern moment, right? It's what we were talking about this morning. You've got You've got news on the left, you've got news on the right, and we're left to decide what is real. And um, that's exactly kind of where I was. And I was like, what is real? Is there truth and how do we attain it? And and so that's kind of how I did that. Now, Tim Keller really helped me through these things, as Tim Keller has helped many a skeptic you know, through these things, a book called The Reason for God, um, which is just a really phenomenal book that, that gives really satisfying answers. Um, for the scriptures, for God, for truth. And so it was really through that, through continuing to engage with the Bible, um, that I came to affirm and believe, you know what, no, what I, what I thought was true, I, I still believe, right? I, I believe this to be true. And ever since then, I've, I've, I have a lot of conversations with, with people who struggle with whether or not the Bible is true. And I always challenge them, like, listen, don't be a bad skeptic. The, the worst skeptic is the person who, like, criticizes something from an arm length away, yeah. right? They, they, they don't engage with it. They don't dive in. Uh, but I, but I believe if you engage with these words, read the story. You know, one of the greatest things in church history has been like chapter and verse citations. <laughs> it allows us to like all like turn to the same page at the right time right, and look yeah. at the right verse and you can do good expository preaching because you can, because you have this and it's, a, it's an efficiency mechanism. Um, one of the greatest curses to church history is chapter and verse because you, you stop reading the Bible as story and you start reading the Bible as an encyclopedia. Yeah. And it was not intended to be read as such It was intended to be read as like a story. So now like there are publishers that are writing or, or publishing Bibles uh, without chapter and verse. And I encourage like people go and Get read the story. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, just yeah. go and read it. Like you would read any other book. You wouldn't pick up Lord of the Rings 
on page 312 and just start and stop. Yeah. You know, we do that with the Bible all the time. Yeah. And that can be fruitful. Don't get me wrong. Um, it is God's word. Um, however, like, read the story. Yeah. Let it sit on you and you just sit in it and just kind of see what the Lord does. And that's kind of what I was saying two weeks ago. Like, you'll start finding yourself in it. You'll start mm-hmm. seeing how just as these people needed God, you need God. And just as God uh, provides salvation for them in a Redeemer, He's actually done that for you in the person of Christ. And and that's what the Bible does. It's, it's, it's um, I was talking with Matt Pop about a song, and I was like, man, you know, you know, I think like the best songs are like the songs where you can like, in the, eventually like find yourself in the middle of the song. It's like if I was watching, uh, we've been joking around about Saved by the Bell a lot, the old TV show that was really big among our generation. Mm-hmm. But like if there was a Saved by the Bell episode that I was watching and all of a sudden like I was in the episode hanging out with Zach Morris and AC Slater, that would be like the greatest thing ever. Like, <laughs> But that's what the Bible does. It's this story that's happening. But then, but then you actually um, in the church by the work of the Holy Spirit uh, enter into the story. And that's one of the reasons our sacraments or our, uh, the, the ordinances of the church, baptism, Lord's Supper are so important. They're means by which we kind of jump into the story mm-hmm. and begin acting out God's plans for us. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much more we could say here, but I feel like, right. you know what, even though they're listening on two speed, they're probably their their trip to, uh, their trip to, to Publix is probably over. Blake, I feel like you got a concluding word though. Sorry, I was getting a text from my wife. Oh, wow. I, thought, I thought you were oh, looking man. something up. No, wow. my, my concluding thought would probably What's be What's Abby like, Rogers hey, have if, to say about if all you this? Were, if, you were, if you were in the Saved by the Bell at the max, would you like pull your chair up at the end of the table like A.C. Slater and just kind of turn it, flip it backwards, or would you just kind of slide in mm-hmm. like, like, like Screech? I don't know. I don't know. I have, I, a, I have a better final word than that. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's yeah. probably, I don't know if that's a good one to end on. <laughs> no, I do think that my encouragement to everyone and I include myself in this is that to answer this question in the affirmative. So to say, yes, the scripture is reliable should lead us to want to read it. And, and if you're anything like me who kind of grew up in a Christian home, there are some days when I open it up and I read something and it's powerful and it's life changing. And then there are other days that I read it and it's, it's just, it's reading, right? Not, nothing mm-hmm. profound, seemingly profound happens. Um, my confidence that God is working through his sufficient authoritative word invites me to continue to read and dive mm-hmm. in. And the promise of God is that this is, this is going to change you. This is who I am. And, and it, it, it's that invitation to us to um, respond to God saying, Hey, this is who I am. Do you mm. want to know who I am? It's good. This is who I am. I love it. Let's let that be concluding word, but let me give a shameless plug as we, uh, as we go out. One of the things, and I, I know this sounds crazy because I actually am part of producing these, but one of the things I've been doing lately is actually listening to our daily rhythm, our little podcast. And it, and it does help me a, you know, you, you're hearing the word of God, but it does help me to meditate on and to keep thinking about it. Just listening to, I mean, again, I'm like in the conversation, but by the time I actually listen to it, we, I'll go ahead and confess, we pre-record those. But, um, but by the time I actually listen to it, I've kind of forgotten that meditation and it just kind of, oh yeah, like, you know, I just, I, I actually went back last week and listened to, or just 
these last over the past few days listened to all of our Holy Week readings, and it really helped me just even meditate on the cross. And so anyway, that's a great little tool that we uh, produce along with the sermon talkback um, and so many other things. But this has been great, guys. Yeah, it's good. So for Jordan Coughlin and Blake Rogers, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.